0: There, perform, and mm-hmm. deliver. Respect, last Ancorda. It will be one sentence, and I am responding. Mm-hmm. What a load of spin and nonsense. He has only
1: challenged my personality mm-hmm. and pointed out my gender. Mm-hmm.
0: And cop on a small bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Welcome to the polling station podcast with Neve and Amy, where each week we try to make politics a little bit easier to grasp. This week, very exciting. Who would have thought? It's one year on since the government formation government formation that took forever had the caretaker government for what felt like an age and then the government was formed and we've a year on and it's been a year of some good things some bad things and a lot of scandals a, a, a lot more than you'd <laughs> think but then again
0: we've never seen Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael in government together so this is very historical government I mean Government through pandemic, two opposing parties for centuries—well, century, sorry—since you know the previous century coming together. Obviously, you know with the minority Green Party. So it's been, been a very turbulent year. Like we're going to try and like dissect and hustle through some of the highs, some of the lows. We probably might miss a few things, but we're going to try and do the highlights of what kind of happens yeah. when. Because you mean, think about it, the general election was even pre-COVID. That's how far back that was—February of 2020. Mm. So we're going back quite a while now that we've, a year, how have they found, have they gotten to their, have they gotten to their feet, who have been the hits and misses and what are yeah. the big scandals because politics is never far from a scandal.
1: I guess to kick us off is really the absolute rigmarole around forming the government and how long it actually took to get off its feet. Like you are saying, Eve. First time Fianna Fáil and Fingale have been in power together. People say the end of civil war politics. Some people would say, what's the difference between the two parties? Both are valid. I think what, what people will take, the two points people would take from the government formation talks, was the fact that Fianna Fáil and Fingale got together and that Sinn Féin w- was not in- really included in the talks with them informing the government now Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael put it back on Sinn Féin I think it was Leo Fraggeur that said that it was like the responsibility because obviously Sinn Féin was the best performing party it secured 37 seats and you know they said that they were being locked out of government formation talks Leo Fraggeur said that it was up to them as much as it was Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael to form a majority and that they should be working to do that and it was all very mean it, it was, was like it kind of it, it definitely, I feel like, set the tone for
0: going into this government for both opposition and for government TDs because Fina Gale, you know, the parliamentary party, they'd sent out across their social media platforms, you know, videos of various TDs and ministers basically asking, Would you get into government with Sinn Fein? And they were all like, No, no, absolutely not. So and you didn't see that from Fina And we've seen like the nastiness in the doll between Fina Gale and Sinn Féin TDs, especially, you know, you see Leo Vradker versus Pierce Doherty, Michael Martin versus Mary Lou. And it's kind of definitely, I feel, set the tone the fact that Sinn Féin was locked out. And it also hmm. was as well, Obviously, you know, when a government is formed, you have to nominate a Taoiseach. And obviously this time around, it was Micheál Martin. But it was the first time a woman was ever nominated. And I think that's very consequential. Whether you believe with Mary Lou and Sinn Féin's politics is very, it's always consequential to have an, an underrepresented person or community be nominated or given, a, you know, a piece of prominence. It was
1: definitely a day to different for the Irish state to see a woman mm-hmm. actually nominated for Taoiseach. Like we've said in our podcast last week about pride and politics representation does not always mean progression but it is still good to see and you still need to be like a moment in time and that yeah. was great then the reason why we got to the green party is like obviously fianna fáil
0: and Fine gael they could only really form a government to the fact that Fine gael were outright no they're not getting into government with sinn fein so they kind of went looking for smaller parties and obviously like labor does seem like almost the automatic choice in the sense that both fianna fáil and Fine gael have been in government like previous governments obviously The 2011 one was a Fine Fine Gael Labour government and previous governments in the previous century had, you know, Fianna Fáil and Labour. But Labour said, no, they're going to back out, which, to Mm -hmm. be honest, was politically a good choice because Labour are still very much hurting from their their times. The austerity period in Ireland and a lot of young left liberal voters wouldn't necessarily go for Labour because of the decisions they had made whilst in government, even though the SOC Dems and, you know, Ainti, who are other subsequently small parties, but the only to get them over to the majority could be the Green Party because obviously Fianna Gael didn't want to be in a situation where they were previously where it was a minority government propped up by a few independents so Mm -hmm. they obviously had to veer veer off and then again Fianna Fáil was in government up until 2007 with the Greens now was that smart politically for the Greens? who knows because they lost that was obviously during We came into the, you know, it was Celtic Tiger. Then we went into the procession. Yeah. And the Greens lost no seat in the next general election. But look, that's another four years away, the next general election. So you don't know how it might fare out for the Greens. But the Green Party eventually decided to vote anyway on it after a tumultuous time in a Green they decided it was on the 15th of June that they had agreed to go in for government and then mm-hmm. the votes went to each individual parliamentary
1: party. Um, and I don't know, it was such a, such a moment, I remember that they got Mark Ruffalo on to plug that. Do you remember that? Oh they got God. Mark Ruffalo on, and they're like where they were like debating through it. I was like, what a moment. What a moment. <laughs> Eamon Ryan being
0: the real dad, being like, Mark, turn on your mic. Turn on, or something like that. It's just something like every you've seen every dad or every man when they're working from home doing that. You're such yeah, a so you're bizarre. On mute. Yeah, <laughs> you're <on> mute. <laughs> that was it.
1: But yes, it the Greens decided that they would enter into government and thus formed the coalition government that we have now, where you know there is a rotating Taoiseach with Michal Martin serving as Taoiseach until December 2022, and then to be taken over by Leo Radker until the end of the government's term. But yeah, that set. It's, I think it really did set the tone for like, do I want to say chaos? Do I want to say chaotic? A Definitely. bit of a
0: chaotic
1: kind of government.
0: Definitely the start off was not good. I suppose as well when no. you look at it as well, like it was very heavily opposed by a lot of young Greens, young Green voters, young Green Party members really opposed that. And it was a, a kind of a shock when the Green Party voted to go into it. But I suppose, mm-hmm. the you know, the Green Party's has always it still is a small party but it's getting bigger all the time because obviously climate issues are much more pressing especially to younger generations of course like ours like ours because it'll be us who will have to look after so of course people are going to be more interested and it's the fact as well that like even after the the government was formed the green party leadership had an election because that according to you know that's within their bylaws that would have happened regardless but you know, Catherine Martin lost by a very, very small margin, and that kind of I feel set up the division that we had going into this government between certain green government TDs and the ones who were pro Aimeen Ryan and the other ones who were pro Catherine Martin. And we've mm-hmm. even seen that the fact that Catherine Martin, as we talked about in the Shannon episode, that she was one of the TDs who nominated Dublin City Mayor Hazel Chu for the Shannon by-election. So it is kind of I think we went into that chaos and the rotation tea shock as well. I think when we all heard that, we were like, how is that going to fare out? <laughs> like how, and also changing you know, over ministers in incredibly important positions during mm-hmm. a pandemic you have obviously simon covey he was heavily involved in brexit negotiations we are still in the midst of brexit we were there's yeah. a political crisis up in the north as well right now he obviously kept his position as minister for foreign affairs you'd pascal donahue who had been minister for finance and public expenditure for the last previous years but obviously he's now sharing that with fianna fáil td uh michael mcgrath and then i think health I don't know, I expected Simon Harris to keep health because it was a pandemic. I thought maybe it might be a bit choppy during the pandemic to change over, but evidently that didn't happen with um, Stephen Donnelly taking over.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that was an extension of like the chaos that the government, when this government took, came into power even. You can have your opinions about, you know, Leah Radker and Simon Harris. Absolutely fair in what they've done. But I think a lot of people can say that the first stage of this pandemic was dealt with slightly better than the latter stage. So when the caretaker government was in power and you had Leo Vradker and Simon Harris coming out, they were very both very visible, very present, issuing advice. Simon Harris became like an Instagram TikTok sensation with all his messaging. And Leo Radker. you can say what you want about him, he's a very media savvy man and he knows how to play the media. All that kind of stopped when the government coalition came in. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big... Factors that kind of I don't know I feel like hurt the kind of COVID messaging and the effort in uh, Ireland was the appointment of Stephen Donnelly as yeah health minister. I I would agree with that to an extent in the sense that like Leo and the Fianna Gael led government
0: had an easier situation. Time, Obviously, in completely. the sense they shut everything down. Very easy yeah. to shut everything down. Mihal Martin, I'm not saying he did a great job, but he did come into a tougher expectation where he had to open everything back up. And you have two different parties with pretty much ideologically or differ very slightly on very few things. But new ministers get into their new role and especially as well, I think we had a lot of first-time ministers. Stephen Donnelly, obviously, he had, he had been a TD, but he's never been a minister. You've Norma Foley and Roger Cogorman, so Norma Foley, who's Fianna Fáil TD, Roger C. Gorman's a Green Party TD, both first-time TDs and first-time ministers. It was just all a bit definitely chaotic, but I would say it's probably harder to, to open things up. And I found as well a lot of the, the discourse with regard to, oh, the last government did a really good job, even though that government was still in charge. Leo Vradker was still there. People, they were yeah. still there. So he was very much involved when they had those cabinet meetings to decide. He was still involved when people were like, oh, the last government did a better job. I'm like, those lads are still yeah. there. Where I would agree though, Amy, the media training that the Fianna Gael TDs is vastly different to what Fianna Fáil are getting, in my opinion, because they come out very strong. I think, as you said, some of the most effective communicators, Simon Harris, 100%, Simon Coveney, Pascal mm-hmm. Donahue. They are very effective in how they come across Absolutely. on media. I think that's maybe something Stephen Donnelly has been very much questioned on, not only his appearances in, for media interviews, but also for doll appearances to be, you know, to have questions from the opposition TDs. I've seen especially Social Democrat yeah. co-leader Roisin Shorchal has consistently argued on this point. I suppose like there is definitely a lot of chaos and then as well with the ministerial positions, the geography of them. Was very much not representative of the entire country. Yes. We had every region representative, barred the northwest. No minister was representing the west or north of Ireland, and like you had two ministers were based in Wicklow, with Stephen Donnelly and Simon Harris. <laughs> and the northwest got none. Sorry, <laughs> but two ministers are here for
1: Wicklow. That was just one aspect of like the ministerial tobacco. Like obviously you had the shifting of key ministerial positions in a pandemic. You had the geography discrepancy of like very heavily towards the east of the country. And you had a lot of first-time TDs, Stephen Donnelly, Norma Foley, that were had ministerial positions. So it was just kind of a bit chaotic and I think there was a lot of people being like because traditionally and totally not saying that just because you're first time TD doesn't mean that you're not qualified to be a minister there's a total debate open for that but I think people were like it's just obviously such a difficult job to do and while you're acclimatizing to the way Leinster house is run and then also having a huge portfolio on top of that it's obviously very difficult I think what started the scandalous part of the government was also to do with ministers. When then Minister for Agricultural, Food and Marine Barry Cowan, he was sacked for want of a better word in July due to driving offences that he committed that he hadn't disclosed to Mihal Martin prior to his appointment to cabinet. So he was sacked, um, and it was quite he, yeah, you know, it was big. Like not even he resigned. Mihal Martin was like, "No, you're gone."
0: Just, just don't. You are gone. because you can't be driving on a can't be driving on a learner permission. And people just weren't happy. But then, of course, other people are going to be like, "That was years ago." But no. obviously, already a bit of a shit storm, you know. And he is coming from a dynasty, like obviously it's his brother. So I don't know if that's what a dynasty means, like. But obviously, his brother, you know, former T shirt Brian Kane, like there is that rec- name recognition that you wouldn't yeah. get where I like other TDs Mm
1: -hmm. who don't have that family name recognition. I think people are also shocked that Michael Martin sacked him because of who his brother was as well, obviously, former Taoiseach himself. But yeah, he, and he wasn't like, he didn't go quietly either, Barry Cowan, Like he did say he did not, he said he did not think he should be fired. He would accept it, but he did not think he should be fired, which obviously there was kind of some talk of, obviously, with the reluctance to engage with um, Sinn Féin during the government formation, there was already some stirrings around Hall Martin's position as leader, like were people really behind him when you're really stauntly refused to engage with Sinn Féin when not everyone in the party felt like that. And this further kind of perpetuated that, I guess, feeling. But they did take it as an opportunity to replace Barry Cowan with uh, a minister... From Mayo, West of Ireland. Oh. Uh Derek Leary. Yeah. So he was he was, like, Sorry, place, was like another place. short-lived
0: name in <laughs> Irish politics. Oh,
1: really? I wonder, I'd love to know. Is that like the shortest Honestly. um ministerial I'm, stint? It might be. I don't know. It was short and not so sweet because it ended in the most dramatic political scandal I feel that has come out of Ireland since the crash, and that was. Gulfgate. the news was just chaotic
0: <laughs> and i loved every bit of it i won't <laughs> lie um it was just because <laughs> summer's normally a time there's <laughs> not that much news it's a very slow news cycle and then boom you have all these tds boom, senators former broadcasters you're you know commissioner european commissioners mm-hmm. going to an event and a function in the middle of a pandemic and this was a time, you know, like people were still just about going to see their loved ones who were in nursing homes, those who had lost, those who were unfortunate enough mm-hmm. to have lost loved ones due to COVID. Or if you, if you were a healthcare worker or working within the HSE and you were restricting yourself from seeing your friends and family, because you know what I mean? And we see Absolutely. that it was like, I just think it was just, it, it's very hard not to, I, I would find it very hard for people not to support what they did and there was just a very i remember there was a clip going around of dark clear you know they were talking about house parties and so on and like how to stop that and dark clearly was on the six news talking about Mm -hmm. how covid likes to party well it does when you go on an arachnist golf society trip as well like
1: (laughs) and that was the kicker as well that it wasn't just like some rat like real posh golf society that all the tds happened to be like a member of it was the arachnist golf society (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's organized by the members of the Oireachtas and like I we were doing like a little exercise of how many people like actually those notable attendants that there was lads there were so many people I'd actually forgotten how many yep. people had attended this thing and kind of oh, got, they got off of this not like didn't really get the Scott only Scott one Reeve. probably Derek
0: Leary yeah. and Phil Hogan but Phil Hogan is, you know there's reports he's setting up a consultancy company now so he's not going to do too bad for himself
1: So for everyone's refresher, Phil Hogan was the former EU Trade Commissioner. Um, So obviously a key person for Brexit because Ireland actually had a commissioner in the EU Trade Committee. So everyone was like buzzing. However, when this happened, and it happened in July 2020 for a throwback for everybody, because I know the year has just meshed into some uh, chaotic mess. This was kind of Ireland who had done really well with COVID. We kind of suppressed the virus, like Neve was saying, it's much easier shutting down than opening up as it turned out because in july cases were climbing and climbing again and restrictions were being put back into effect so it wasn't like we were lifting we were closing down as these lads were off um at their golf society dinner and phil hogan like dark leary was the first casualty where he had to resign uh the ministerial position for agricultural food and marine so that was two um two agriculture food and marine ministers gone he, like gone and then phil hogan he just took a while He took a while to go. Ursula von der Leyen had to get involved, the EU commission president. She kind of had to be like, Phil, you need to go. Like, we can't deal with this drama. And I think that was the difference. Like, obviously, what Derek Kaleer did was wrong, but he came out straight away. This is not to
0: commend what he did. And I remember Micheál Martin said this showed leadership. And I think what true leadership shows is not going to an event like this. That's what leadership is during a pandemic. But he did... Well, I suppose he was probably forced to, you know, like the powers that be were like no he resigned he apologized straight away where Phil Hogan did not come across well I felt you could hear it on live and people
1: were still angry for days about Phil Hogan and it's just do you remember like more and more things started coming up coming out so it was like first the golf skate about where he traveled and then he was traveling all over Ireland when we were when we had restrictions to traveling within Ireland and not only that he had come from Brussels so he'd Mm -hmm. actually come in from abroad and was traveling all over Ireland and yeah people were like it was very emotive because people were like the political class seemed to be you know coming out and condemning people who were breaking the rules and kind of everyone in Ireland was actually like to be fair everyone was quite compliant at the time you know, like, the rules. And then it was like this political class were coming out and having their old dinner and people were annoyed about it.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's very much do as I say and not as I do. And that's what it came across. And we even saw, you know, a Fine Gael senator, Jerry Butmer, he lost his position as Las Heerluck. He has been reinstated by mm-hmm. that, though. Leo person personally said, you know. So, like, they were reprimanded, but not to a full extent. But I suppose people are like, oh, six months, you know, suspension of Lasko Heerluck of the Shannon. That's enough. Mm-hmm. But... I just think if once you hear the stories of people who lost so much due to COVID and it is that thing like you know it's the same thing that happened with Dominic Cummings and why it was such a big thing over in in UK politics it's of course it's going to be and there's been stories like that all over Europe all Mm up you know even in the United States there was issues with Nancy Pelosi getting a haircut when California you know stuff like that like there is a lot of, like politicians do have this thing of yeah. coming to themselves like it's not.
1: And I know like some people are like, well, I'm sure everyone was doing it, lads. I'm absolutely sure there was people breaking the rules left, right and centre, but yeah. they're not the people making the rules. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's where it comes. There comes that separation of being like, you are part of the government, you're leading the way. You cannot expect anybody to adhere to yeah. these rules if you're not doing them yourself. And another guy who kind of, kind of got off kind of oh, didn't with yeah. Seamus Wolf, who was a Supreme Court judge he again like he refused to resign so he'd only kind of just been instated as a Supreme Court judge which is the highest you know except for the Chief Justice in Ireland it's the highest position that you can get in the legal system and he attended the Golfgate dinner and he was like yeah refused to resign and there was a kind of that more put a funny element into it because there was a report published about him of whether he should resign or not. The report found that he shouldn't resign, but then the chief justice came out and said that he absolutely should resign and kind of had his own personal statement out. And then the doll had to get involved and nobody could actually really figure out how to sack a judge Um, And that was kind of due to this Judicial Council Act that was halfway through but hadn't come in through yet. And it kind of exposed this disjointment between the justice system and the government at a time that the government was in crisis with the pandemic. And obviously you had, you know, rules coming in that gave guards a lot more power. You know, emergency acts were in place and it was just kind of like another thing that it's like, oh, you're giving, you know, the judicial system and kind of guards more power but you're so disconnected from them and you don't really know how to oversee them can you oversee them so it was like this real all from golfgate lads it really was (laughs) and the claim is like the whole like literally
0: what amy just said the whole thing about the balance of power and that's what the whole issue was and like there was issues the fact that like seamus wolf was the previous attorney general but obviously under a Gael government and there's even Mm -hmm. issues in how he was chosen how you know for Minister for Justice at the time Helen McEntee chose him there was discussions of a memo that you know the party leader Leo Radker had discussed so there was mm-hmm. a lot of murky things but there was a, there was a question Claire Byrne had put on she had just started her radio show an excellent question when Michael Martin was there with regards to should he be fired and he was like oh I can't it's you know the balance of powers and she was like well there wasn't any mm-hmm. of that going on in down in Galway during the event and she was dead right because that's not you can't have yeah, politicians right. there
1: ministers laughing up with high court judges yeah, rubbing shoulders. There's no separation of powers there whatsoever. And Seamus Wolf, he formally began his work in the Supreme Court actually oh, in February 4th. There. So he is. And then subsequently a few weeks after that we had talked about, which we
0: had discussed in CETA with regards to the divisions within the Green Party, we had two TDs mm-hmm. vote against a housing bill that had been brought forward, which the government was instructed to vote in line. And obviously Nessa Hurgan and Joe O'Brien vote against the government. This is obviously, again, this is on the foot of case. you They're already having a bad situation. Now you're having the government TDs voting against you. Those two TDs are rep- reprimanded and their speaking time is cut for a number of weeks, even though this was in line with the Doll summer session. So they literally only had about two weeks. It didn't really matter. And Nessa Hurgan resigned as Green Party whip. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, that was very divisive coming back after the summer recess, which is in line with when the Leaving Cert results come out. And everyone, anyone who did the Leaving Cert, obviously it was cancelled. Predicted grades was just the way to go. There was no, you know, if you were to sit it, you were going to be sitting it in November. You weren't going to be sitting it in June or July. So obviously anyone who opted for the predicted
1: grades. And then we had yet another fiasco with results
0: in September then.
1: Yeah, we absolutely did. And I know a lot of countries did. The UK certainly had a big fiasco. And um, with it, but it was basically like there was two errors discovered in the kind of calculated grade process that people had gone through. So it basically was coding mistakes that the system used to standardize the marks, and um, which means estimate, like I think the estimated 10% of students actually got a lower grade than they should have. Obviously this was, and it was off the back of in the UK with the A-levels and how that had kind of discriminated against students from kind of lower socioeconomic backgrounds and stuff like that in schools because obviously it was taking like the mean out of your school and stuff um and this just wasn't you know it wasn't it wasn't great and again it was the messaging and kind of the communication around if the leaving cert would happen when it would happen it was quite poor and then leaving cert didn't happen it got calculated grades and then there was like this tobacco over it and students were kind of left in the Larch wondering, you know, were they affected by this? And then also, sorry, courses mm-hmm. shot up as well. The points yep. went through the bloody roof. Which isn't really, it's not the government's fault, yeah. but it just kind of added to the, the the feeling, the mood of the time, which was bad. And I do think as well, Amy, just going back on what you
0: said or earlier, Norma Foley is another TD who did not make herself readily available for questioning, whether it was media interviews or with that position. I felt it wasn't that much, you know, everyone knows anyone who's in education, whether it's a friend or family or who's either a student or working in it. Most people do. And it was just very... She just wasn't that readily available, and people Mm -hmm. had faith in Norma Ful because obviously she came from a teaching background for a number of years. Yeah, so they had faith, but obviously this mess up happened. Yeah, it was just another thing to add. Like they were only a few months in, and this was another thing.
1: And I'd like I think this is kind of probably something that a lot of people know, well maybe don't or probably do. Is that like a lot of these government things are undertaken by private companies that the government brings in as consulting firms? This was the case with the coding mistakes that happened in the government. So I don't know, was it really Norma? Foley's fault. Like the government is also under an obligation that when these contracts come up for, you know, tenders for like, oh, I'm going to do the coding for her, we're going to develop a system, the government is obligated to go with yep. the lowest offer given to them. But I think what was Norma Foley's fault is the yep. really poor messaging. Like you said, Neve, the fact that she wouldn't do interviews or anything like that. There was no. Yeah. control from the government of like what was happening they didn't get ahead of it whatsoever when they probably yeah. knew that it was you know up shit creek without a paddle she just wasn't readily available um, like you said amy and it's just yeah okay you can't no. blame
0: but it's just if you're meant to lead a department you should have a grasp and you're kind of it you'll be i'll be everyone will be watching to see what will happen this year will the same issues happen again if so why or yes. has her department actually been like no we're gonna get this and we're gonna get this right
1: you hit the nail on the head there and you were like she's to lead it That's it. That's what was missing. And will she have learned it from this year?
0: And then like shortly after that, we came into the whole Mother and Baby Home Commission, which we went into really detailed information on the second episode. If you want to check that out. Again, there's further issues that are still arising from that because we've seen, obviously the chair of the commission Mm -hmm. is refusing to come before the doll or even speak to the survivors. But yet she's readily available to speak at an Oxford University discussion panel. So there's there's a, a lot of issues coming along with that still. That was a really big mess up especially for Roger Cogorman for his department, mm. that was a very big thing. And then October, another big thing mm-hmm. happened. Honestly, I actually can't believe there was this. I scandals. <laughs> I'm just trying to think. I was like, God, there's not, there wasn't that many, but in October just we right. had the village <laughs> magazine published the uh, issues with regards to Leo Radker <gasps> leaking. Yeah. Confidential information to opposing interest groups. Again, we discussed that in depth. Leo, the leak. Yeah. So in do check the, check, the, check those two out. Yeah. Um, and as well, if you want to listen to more about Green Party divisions, we talked about that in episode one, which is all about the CETA, which is the Canadian European Trade Agreement. So there's a lot of details in there. We'll just be rehashing those
1: episodes, but that was a lot. And it kind of like, I think with the Green Party, with CETA, and also obviously the Green Party f- had a fracture with the Just Transition Group that kind of fractured off it. And then Leo, obviously there was a vote of no confidence brought against Leo Fracker and, um, What's his name? Mihal Martin. Look at me go. I'm pr- I'm doing what they do. I'm confusing the two of them. Can like everybody I just else. Quickly,
0: that's my favorite thing <laughs> when you see during like leaders' questions when Leo Varadkar is on a regular basis at least once every fortnight referred to as on T oh Antisha.
1: <laughs> Antisha, all like, the yeah, time. like me <laughs> I do feel bad for him now. It's rarely fair to I- I feel bad for him as well. Callaby is titled. God bless him. He's 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 wanted this for so long. I know. <laughs> but um, he he vote he pushed a uh, motion of confidence for Leo Bracke. So um, but that was a uh, I definitely would like recommend anybody to actually go look at that whole debate that happened. It was very spicy, and um, between yeah them all but uh, that between the vote of no confidence in Leo and obviously the fracturous tumultuous stuff that was happening with the Greens it was again she was feeling very kind of chaotic and yeah chaotic and then again obviously we came up to Christmas
0: and that's when everything reopened up we were just emerging out of the second lockdown but then again Mm -hmm we had then, within a few weeks, we were back into our third lockdown and the government were really, this is just not a good time because obviously we went through the horrific third wave in January Mm -hmm. and still like only now kind of getting back to the low, to to very low levels. So it's just, that was not a great time either for the government. There was really, again, communication is a huge thing I feel that has come out in terms of like getting out in front Mm -hmm. and discussing this and being, you know, getting the facts out there to the public and especially with regards to, obviously the vaccine rollout came in because there was issues even with that with like, it was being delivered on one day, but wasn't going to be administered until... Fo- it's just the juxtaposition. And I don't know if that's a HSE problem or it's a Department of Health problem or just the government as a whole problem.
1: But then it was one of those things that if it was a HSE problem, I feel people are obviously much more forgiving of the HSE than the government. And if it was, that's something that they should have signposted. But it was like that lack of communication. I I I feel like it's that communication that marks it because even when we were at the start here and I was talking about, you know, how good they did in the first lockdown and you were like, But it was much easier and I was like it actually was much easier and I feel like people give so give maybe more not more credit than with you but certainly I was a person there that gave a lot of credit and I think a lot of that was because I remember the effective communication. I remember Leo coming out being like this is happening in two weeks or it's not happening this that, and the other and I feel like I I still remember seeing like. Businesses posting on their Instagram at the time being like, We've no timelines, we've no nothing. Where is the government coming out and communicating this? And again, with the vaccine rollout, you know, people knew it was happening somehow, but they kind of, I think people just wanted reassurance that things were happening. And for a while, it just felt the government were just disconnected from that communication to the public that I think people were crying out for. I guess, I don't know, does that sound too dramatic?
0: No, I don't think so. I definitely think like there was a lot like serious lacking of leadership. And I think as well, like there was just like constant knockbacks this government had. And then as well, I think what turned to everyone's head as well was the student nurses and the fact that they weren't getting paid as well. was a huge thing, even though Simon Harris, when he was Minister of Health, did say that they were going to get paid. But then that scheme had ended and then it was just all this big rigmarole. And it just seemed to be a controversial thing to pay student nurses during a pandemic, which was which pa- don't understand. No, I again it's very hard to argue why you wouldn't pay student nurses during a pandemic. And then there was, you know, issue that an allowance would be given to them, but then you know, there are a number of nurses anyway, I've seen on online
1: who have said they've not received one payment. And again, I feel like that's a thing that fell through the cracks with, with the government handover, I guess, like the portfolios, like things like that. You wonder did that and like I don't know, this is just me speculating. But Yeah, the student nurses, sorry, that was a complete disgrace what was happening there. That was absolutely Mm -hmm. awful. Yeah, uh, uh, horrific. And that some of them still haven't gotten the compensation. Not the compensation, sorry, the payment for the work that they did that they deserved but definitely that. things have started to take i think a bit of a turn in the sense like obviously this government there was
0: no like you know when people were pushing a lot of people were pushing for a zero covid strategy similar to Australia and New Zealand um mm-hmm. the government's defence was that obviously we are a shared island with the north with northern ireland there's different jurisdictions Exactly. So it would be much more impossible to do it than other countries. It seemed to be for a while that their whole strategy was the vaccine rollout. And then obviously there was the huge issues with AstraZeneca not complying Mm -hmm. and the EU threatening legal action and all that's really messy, bureaucratic stuff that when you're just an ordinary person and you just like want your vaccine and you want to be safe. So that definitely was a slow, but obviously we've seen in the last number of weeks, we've seen a huge increase and it's been fantastic. Obviously there are still some people waiting, which is not great especially people in their 60s and in high risk people you know who got the astrazeneca so hopefully we've seen that you know that continued turnaround will happen but obviously there's you -hmm. never know what's going to happen so that has gone well for them the fact that a lot of people are getting vaccinated now the portals now open to people in their late 30s so
1: and i was seeing that like we have such high uptake percentage yeah. in the vaccine like I think we've the highest which in is Europe, great. if not the second highest which is also like amazing to see and like the government did come out and, like really push the vaccine yeah. for people to take it and people have taken it and fair dues to them because that's how we're <laughs> getting out of this lads well I don't know I do not have a medical or a scientific hope. degree but according to the people who yeah. do I to <laughs> well even like
0: when you see like Michal Martin, obviously he's in his 60s. I think obviously when there was issues with AstraZeneca and people would be more hesitant to mm-hmm. take that from what, you know, just from people. And he took it, he I thought that was good it. because obviously all the acci- vaccines have been approved by the EMA and by NIAC and they are safe. So it was great to see, you know, the leader of the country taking mm-hmm. a vaccine that may have caused people doubt, even though it is a very efficient and safe vaccine, according to medical reports and the totally. EMA and NIAC and
1: so on. I completely agree. And that it was, you know, he had it on the Insta, people were promoting it and it was like yeah. it was great to see that yeah that was actually a really good move by michael martin like now obviously then we came into you know issues with the housing crisis
0: daryl brian who had been very quiet i hadn't heard much about him and then all of a sudden he was front and center doing primetime interviews <laughs> everywhere. and all that stuff but i just feel again that's another thing and i've um it's more of it's also very much i would say Obviously, Fiendafile had issues to do with that in the crash, but very much Gael dealt with it over the past 10 years. But according to Leo Varadkar now, Fiendagale are following their Ardesh over the weekend. They're aiming to build 40,000 houses a year. So, look, that will be, Mm -hmm. we will see how that goes.
1: If they can deliver that, that's amazing. And if you want to know more about like the housing crisis, we did an episode on that. Yeah, definitely check it out. But yeah, definitely, I definitely think the housing is going to be, once we come out of the pandemic, it's going to be one of the key issues. Yeah, yeah. if not the issue be. for the government. The so it'll issue. be interesting to see how they'll handle that going forward.
0: Like there was a few wins there for this was. government, obviously. The whole reason why the Greens got into power was because they wanted climate change. Now, you can argue it's not radical climate change, but it is climate action that is hopefully going to happen with the climate action bill that was passed. And it was passed by quite a large margin as well. There's only 10 people, 10 TDs who voted against it. So look, yeah, that's why the Greens got in. It is quite a significant piece of legislation. The fact that the country is hoping to commit to mm-hmm. biodiversity, richer, climate resilient and climate neutral economy by 2050. Mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, obviously there is a lot of issues. I suppose people from rural and farming backgrounds have issues with it. But the government have spoken to the interest groups and, you know, you might see opposition TDs argue against it, but then at the same time, Roger Gorman, I think, clapped back very well and said a lot of opposition TDs, the independent rural group in particular, wouldn't put forward any amendments they want. They would just say about it. And this is a very consequential piece of legislation yeah. that saw both the right and the left come together. So I suppose
1: that is a good thing. Hopefully the government will keep to this. Some people say it doesn't go far yeah. enough. Some people say it goes too far at least there's action on it. And now that the bill is in place, amendments can be made either to make it go further or go less, depending on where you are in the spectrum. And then also, I think anyone who saw the budget this year saw that the Greens had such an impact Mm -hmm. on that as well. You could really see like green policies being pushed from like the kind of carbon tax to like cars and everything like that and promoting more kind Mm -hmm. of green ways of living. Uh, I actually thought they did quite a decent job of not. um, Obviously, I'm from the country and I would understand, you know, like my dad's family has a farm and stuff. I'd understand the worries and stuff of farmers. I thought they did quite a good job at balancing that. And because at the end of the day, you know, like climate change is real. We have to bring people who have Mm -hmm. concerns along with us to make sure that they have their jobs have a place in the future in whatever capacity that would be. I thought they actually did a really good job in the budget of kind of like not scaring yeah. people off like that. That was, a, it was a win. It actually yeah, was. And even Charlie yeah. Minogue,
0: who's now the Minister for agriculture, now he has been there since he's took that office, thank God. Um, he has even said that future agricultural policies will have a more kind of climate-based initiative to them as well. So hopefully they'll be interlinked. And obviously there are a lot of people who are not for it, but obviously overwhelmingly the Dáil voted in favour. So, I mean, that was a win. That was a win.
1: Another big win was the white paper on direct provision that was a huge win it was basically a white paper published in February that said by 2024 that there would be a new non-for-profit model to replace direct provision that would be set up with people placed in mm-hmm. state-owned centers for up to four months only up to four months and then be supported with move to local housing for anyone who doesn't know direct provision is a kind of institution within Ireland that uh, is meant to support people that are you know asylum seeking or coming in refugees in this country it's I think you kind of accept it as quite Mm -hmm. an abusive system the way that it is run now it's quite there's a lot of private run direct provision centers that the state rely on that can be quite abusive they're quite restrictive in how people can live there it's something that's been need of reform for a Mm -hmm. very very long time and it's it's good to see that it has actually been taken seriously as something that needs to be reformed because for a long time it really wasn't.
0: Yeah. And I do think that is partially due to not like, I'm not praising them now or anything like that, but it was part of the program for like, it was a deal breaker for the Greens going in and it is Roger Gorman's <laughs> and even a uh, department that is dealing with this, obviously along with Helen McIntyre's wealth now, um, which we'll get into later. It's now, Heather Humphreys, uh, Minister for Justice Department, which were kind of coinciding working with this white paper to allow asylum seekers who come here to get just the decency and respect that they deserve. And I suppose this is, you know, and especially in terms of like something like getting a driver's licence, getting your revenue set up,
1: all that stuff, like this will help them. Again, obviously, some people will argue this doesn't go far enough. Especially... we're over 20 years looking for this reform and especially people had gripe with the fact that a number of private contractors will remain on until the new system is in place and then people were obviously like well that's not solving the problem because it sees private companies that engage with this that Mm -hmm. a lot of the issues are with but yeah again it's one of those things like it you could argue it doesn't go far enough um but at least there's something that is happening with it because it's been a very very long time coming the
0: recommendations that were given by the Irish Refugee Council, you know, it shows that only 30% of their recommendations were taken on board. So obviously 70% were not adopted, which is which is not what you would want. But I mean, it's something, again, mm. like 20 years, you know, the two parties who have been in government have done nothing, but I suppose all three parties have previously been in government. But look, at least this is being done and it is a win in some respect. Another win, I think, that is you know coming down the line. Not it won't be implemented until twenty twenty two. But Leo Radker's legislation on paid sick leave, because obviously he is also the Taoiseach, but the Minister for Enterprise and yes. Trade and Employment. So look, obviously mm-hmm. everyone would love to get sick pay now, but it, obviously it'll be great that it'll be you know mandated by law and by legislation that every worker, regardless of their occupation, will be entitled to sick pay. So at least that is. Mm-hmm. But again, that won't be implemented until later on in this government's timeline. So.
1: And I, I think all the things like the sick pay, the climate action bill, the white paper for direct provision, all can be argued that they don't go far enough. And, you know, I can certainly see those arguments and maybe even make some of them myself. But I think what's really important about it is once you put these things into the public discourse, anyone who's kind of opposed to that they don't go far enough, the more mm-hmm. you kind of talk about it. And especially in Ireland, I we have kind of maintained and hopefully will continue to maintain quite a good public dialogue mm-hmm. and stuff like that, that things can actually be, you know, debated and that, like, people come more and more around to, you know, the idea of, like, really comprehensive care for refugees that the direct provision system is completely overhauled, you know, a really comprehensive climate action bill. That is going to, you know, really support people who are afraid of it, and while also making sure that our planet is safe, and yeah. then also that people get the pay that they deserve for sick days because you can't help it if you're sick. Mm-hmm. And there are also other issues, like because we saw New Zealand that they brought in
0: leave for women who have had a miscarriage and so on. That has been debated heavily in the doll. and yes. you have seen cross-party agreement on that as well. So hopefully, that will be something that will come in for women mm-hmm. and, you know, for couples and for, you know, prospective parents who have to go through that. So there are some. Yes. Things that you would hope we've obviously seen, as we talk, spoke about in our last Politics and Pride episode, Rachel Gorman will, is going to engage in a cross-party alliance discussion with regards to ending conversion therapy in Ireland, which is, again, very much needed. So that is great that that's going to happen as well. And I suppose as well, something that was really heartwarming, and we spoke about in depth Ireland's issues with electing and promoting women in politics and women in positions of power at government level. So it was brilliant to see, obviously, that mm-hmm. we've had quite a number of women at Cabinet, not, it's not 50-50, but look, we're slowly yes. getting there. But I do think it was great yeah. that Helen McEntee, she got pregnant this year. She thankfully had a very healthy baby boy and that was great. And she's taking her six months paid maternity leave, which you would not expect less because every job should avail of that, including if you're a minister for justice. It's also great to see a woman in a minister for justice, as we spoke about earlier, Nora owns former FINA GALTD, mm-hmm. only, other per- only other woman who has held that office. So again, great that she has done it. And also Amazing. they filled her position with another woman, Minister for Social Protection, Heather Humphreys, and also Hilda Gardner-Nanton is the, she's added that as her Minister for State to her portfolio. So it's great we've seen two women as well move into that. And a good thing mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. Helen Mcgee. there was a great picture of her outside the Oireachtas, heavily pregnant, but she looked great smiling and she was about to go off and rightly so and enjoy her maternity leave.
1: Yeah, and enjoy the time with her new baby and not feel like... You know, like her job, it's still there for her when she comes back. That was absolutely great. So there has been some good bits, hasn't there? (laughs) And then I
0: think now what the telling thing of this government and the success of this government is going to be told in the Dublin uh, Bay South by election that is coming up, coming up on in early July. Bookies, pundits, whatever you want to say are calling for well mainly I think just Fianna Gael and Sinn Féin are saying it's a race between themselves which is councillor James Gagan yeah. and the Sinn Féin candidate is Senator Lynn Boylan Lynn Boylan who's also the former MEP for Dublin It'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see because obviously you have Ivana Batchik from Labour very well known senator you have Sarah Jerkin from the Social Democrats she's a newcomer but Social Democrats I feel are gaining a lot of weight and then you have Fianna Fáil councillor Deirdre Conroy as well and then obviously there are other running members as well from INTO and from the National Party as well and the Green Party you have councillor Clare Byrne as well
1: It'll definitely be telling. And I think it'll be actually a good. Now, having said that, Dublin South Bay, that's obviously a uh, area that's skewed towards a certain kind of voter, yeah. very affluent voter just within the area of it. So obviously you do have to take in those considerations when, you know, what seeing yeah. the results of what it'll be. But it'll be interesting to see, is that voter moving more towards Sinn Féin? Is that voter moving more towards Social Democrats?
0: Or will the Greens take another seat? Because Eamon Ryan tops that constituency every year. And and Kate it does. you know Kate, Kate O'Connell, former Fianna Gael TV, she lost her seat there. And it was Owen Murphy who won it. So you don't know. Like, it could just go. They could yeah. be looking to fill that Fianna Gael seat now. Like, you never know. There are seats held by there by Fianna Fáil and by Sinn Féin. So this could be Labour and the Social Democrats' time to sneak in and take a seat that, that wasn't previously held by them.
1: Take a seat. So
0: it'll be very telling to see how well yeah. this government is doing if an opposition party takes the seat off a former government TD.
1: yeah like what's for the next three years i think loads of people speculate what it is and i think to that politics is a moving beast we've seen what's happened in only a year how many things could happen the different flux of it i think it's quite hard to see what it'll be i think the dublin south bay by-election will be a great telling of it they'll obviously at the very end of this no not at the end of this year Another year, they'll yep. be the handover of power to Leo the 2022. So we'll have another year of Micheál Martin. Be interesting to see, will he make more of a stamp? The Irish Times did a poll there recently. Again, I feel like this is with the caveat with every poll we talk about. I'm like, political Don't polls, we can't trust Definitely them. Definitely have some it, warranted scepticism, I think, about political polls. Absolutely. But um, Micheál Martin himself has gone up okay. um, seven points to like... 49% wow. approval rating Fianna Fáil has gone up 6 to 20% approval rating uh, Which is like interesting Now Leo Fracker is still the most Popular political leader yeah. At 53% Followed by Micheál Martin yeah. And then Mary Lou I thought that was very interesting So did I I would have thought Mary Lou would have been top two Yeah And Fina Gale has actually gone down three points uh, to 27. And I wonder, is that just because they've fallen out of the spotlight? Mm. Just in that they're, again, a lot of the prominent kind of positions that we talked about there, you know, like health, shock, a lot of that is is Fianna Fáil. So I just wonder, is that a telling of that? Uh, Sinn Féin are up three points to 31% approval rating, highest approval Mm -hmm. rating of any party. So it'll be interesting to see... A lot of people talk about, you know, will this government break down? Will this, will it last four years? I, like right now, if I was to make a call, I would be like, it works to no one's advantage for this government yep. to fall apart right now. Fine Gael, I think they're happy enough to be playing yeah. second fiddle right now, while well, we're coming out of a really tough part. Fianna Fáil are in power for the first time, so I think they're we're like, well, we need to make some kind of stamp, or like they're going through their own ideological crisis that they're trying to find themselves. I think through being in government, whether you say that that's the right way to do it or not, it's up for debate. And the Green Party are probably the only people they're that
0: just floating. I, <laughs> I honestly the <laughs> vibes. I guess they're just floating. <laughs> And Ryan's just saying what's going to happen kind of next. Ball, yeah. Like,
1: <laughs> he's just yeah, vibing.
0: Yeah.
1: And... Yeah, because he's actually... He's gone down nine points. Yeah.
0: Um, I mean, there was always... A green parties so are not... Yeah. They're not in a strong position.
1: No. No. And Sinn Féin are... They're, I think they're, they're playing the a blinder yeah. in opposition they for really themselves. I think they're absolutely doing exactly what they need to do Um, to, you know, like, put themselves on course for what I'm sure they want to be in power in the next government and I think probably the longer that they can be in opposition the more likely that is to happen exactly and look
0: if you have any highlights do let us know if we've missed any any gems please do one gem I should have mentioned earlier I'm only thinking of it now Stephen Donnelly speaking to Virgin Media Sarah King about the trampoline I'm actually I'm adding this in before we finish up we have to play it nugget of joy for you all we worry about our children going back to school uh, when there's no COVID, of course we worry about our children going back to school, no, no question about it. We, we manage risk in our lives every time we get into a car, you know, driving a car is an inherently risky thing to do. So we have seat belts and we have rules of the road and we have all of these things. Um, playing sports is an inherently risky thing to do, you know um our children being on trampolines is an inherently risky thing for them to be. But Are we comparing that doing? minister to a global pandemic, to a virus that kills people? It's not the same as playing sports, really, is it? No, no, but driving cars. People die on the roads. Lots of people die on the roads. Like honestly,
1: that was really I love it. Like I don't I don't love it because obviously no, that's the, minister you love the for chaos health. that unfolded. But I I love the chaos. Because that was just <laughs>
0: bad communication again. That was an easily yeah, could have easily been avoided but look sure look if you have any other moments like that that we've missed do let us know
1: let us know because it's been a roller coaster year are you happy with
0: what the government has done are you unhappy what do you think they're doing wrong what do you think they're doing right let us know
1: it's been an eventful year we'll see how the next one goes how many more scandals can there be stay tuned to find yeah. out for it there could be another one by the time we finish this podcast who knows who knows yeah. <laughs> There could be, but uh, I think I uh, finishing on a slightly positive note. I know it's been a really tough year for everybody, including politicians who had to work through a pandemic, which was awful. Um, it's been a tough year for everybody. So listen, they, you know, they survived the year, and you gotta hand exactly. it to them. You got for surviving. Like, so we wake up every day and I'm like, you, you did, did another it. day, you go You go. I'm sure, I'm sure Michal wakes up every day and says that to himself in the mirror. Wouldn't be surprised, you never know. Wouldn't be surprised, never know. But that's it for this week's episode. Like Neve said, let us know your highlights, lowlights, in between lights of what the government has done this year. And yeah, don't forget to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at at Pod. Follow us if you haven't already and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify where we have episodes each week. And that's all for this week. Bye. Bye.